Hello, I'm Kerry Eustace. Welcome to Careers Talk. So, what is it like working for a household name? We're talking about the BBC's, Procter & Gamble's and Microsoft's of the working world. We'll be asking an expert from a top HR company why and how to get into firms like this and also how to get out of them if you find working for a household name just isn't for you. Plus, dear Julian deals with a romantic dilemma in the office and don't all emigrate at once, Australia is on a recruitment drive to find beer testers and koala catchers. But talking of household names, Harriet Minter and Ali White are here as always to look over this week's careers news. Hello both, how are you? Hi. Hello, I'm well and I am starting this week Ooh. with good news for graduates for good first time in a while. Good news for graduates. And this comes from a survey from the National Employer Skills Survey for England. And it spoke to nearly 80,000 different employers and asked them what they thought of the people they had working for them. And 82% of graduate employers said that they were pleasantly surprised with the amount of skills and how great their new employees were. And I think there's been so much about how bad graduates are in the news recently that it's really nice to know that actually there's something a bit more positive out there. And one of the companies interviewed was PwC. And they said actually they're almost having a problem recruiting enough good graduates because people have been so put off by the scare stories within the press. They've kind of said, well, is there any point even trying? Really? Okay. So, graduates, there you go. There is good news out there. You do have skills. Yeah, And people do appreciate them. That's that's encouraging. Um, I've got kind of some encouraging news from the blogosphere. Our job goddess, Claire Whitmell, had written a blog for her website, Job Market Success, about what she wished she would have known when she graduated about the job market. Some of the tips that she highlighted were, it's okay not to have a mapped out career. Do you think maybe that when you're sort of starting out, you have to have a plan and you're not open to other opportunities? Mm. She thinks that that could be something that could help you sort of maybe accepting your first job. If it's not on your career plan, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, another one is um, the people that have the most interesting careers aren't always the one that earn the most. Okay. So maybe the, what the top earners are people that are doing work that isn't actually that fun. So maybe to consider that yeah. <laughs> in your career <laughs> options. Salary's the trade-off. Yeah. yeah. And also um, it's easy to be mediocre pushing yourself and making yourself like a linchpin remember we've talked about that previously in the mm-hmm. pod is uh is more difficult and that's what's going to make you stand out and help you succeed so and this got me thinking about what I, I wish I'd known and that kind of relates to it's easy to be mediocre the one thing I've learned is it shouldn't always be down to your manager to sort of push you and to mm-hmm. help you develop in the workplace that you know you can set your own challenges and improve your own work by looking at it and say oh actually could I do this better you know for the first few years I didn't I was just getting used to the world of work but when I started doing that I noticed that people were taking notice of me in my work more so that's something I definitely encourage people to do it might even be so you know you're writing a news story mm. could that sentence be a bit punchier have I used that same sentence a thousand times before and and that's really helped me but what about you guys mine would probably be you're not as old as you think you are because I <laughs> have always felt that somehow I am about eight steps behind where I should be in my career and actually, when I look at where I think I should be, the people who are doing that job are generally about seven years older than me. So um, I remember when I first graduated, everyone I worked for would say, oh, you're very young. And it was so annoying. Yeah. So I feel bad giving this advice now. But actually, if you're 23, 24 and you're doing a job that you feel is below you and you feel you should be doing more, there is loads of time to improve on it. That's a good, that's a good tip. 
Mine's purely financial, I'm afraid, because I've always set out when I was at university thinking, you know, when you start earning money, you got loads of cash, you know, and don't worry about racking up your overdraft at university and your credit cards, because when that first wage comes in, you'll probably clear it in a couple of months. But I think it really kind of dawned on me when I started working that, you know, the salary is quite hard to manage sometimes. You've got to make sure you're putting some aside and earning enough and maybe even picking up extra work when you start out if you don't earn enough. So I think I wish I'd known that a bit more before you know it wouldn't have changed what I've done but perhaps I would have been a bit more financially savvy I think Mm, thanks I I was also thinking about this as you know we're always encouraging people to go to mentors I think this is the sort of question that you perhaps could ask your mentor to make the most out of them to find out some insider info on your industry Okay, I've got some news about if you, you know, you've had enough of this country, why not just go down under? Because, why uh, not? <laughs> to tempt you, the South Australian government has sort of released this um, recruitment drive, kind of pointing out their more unusual jobs, which are open to Brits, such as koala catcher, beer taster, <laughs> I think I'll apply for that one, uh, and shark personality profile. What does that mean? I, I have no idea. Shark it sounds terrifying. Also, how hard is it to be a koala catcher? Because they're very <laughs> slow. <laughs> but um, yeah, the idea is to kind of um, attract 18 to 30 year olds to the ultimate work-life balance there they're kind of selling it as the whole drive has kind of looked at the stressed and bored Brits you know and offering the stark contrasts to the way it life down under according to them Britons can you know be eligible for these jobs with a working holiday visa um, but I had a look back at one of our Q&A's about working abroad because perhaps if you know you want this is really what you want to do working in Australia there are a few other ways of doing it you don't have to go for these more unusual roles and our experts say that you know it's if you want to try it out you could go down on a um, working holiday visa and trial it for a while and just see how you get on and you could go up to employers and see if they'll sponsor you to come back and work there more long term and also you can apply directly to employers and seek sponsorship and see if they will employ you and you can go out there and work there full time and even depending on what you do you could be eligible for a skilled visa and you could apply for a proper visa to work there and leave the shores for good. I tell you what koala catching or shark (laughs) personality profiling is going to be a talking point in an interview isn't it? It is however I would say on a note of caution on this there was a survey out this week from um the Australian government saying that one third of Australian workers are very upset by their colleagues drinking. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know whether you think that's a good thing for your job or a bad thing. Yeah. I was yes. just going to add though, other places where the job markets are a bit more buoyant than UK and graduates are increasingly sort of going abroad to these places, I think it's like Netherlands and Poland in Europe and then sort of China and Japan, their job markets are a lot more lively, there's more vacancies because their economy is stronger, businesses are open all the time and looking for sort of fresh talent and they mm. favour sort of US and UK grads because they've got the sort of transferable skills and they're sort of quite opinionated and sort of will put their ideas forward in meetings so that's another place you could go yeah I must add as well there are other jobs available than these three (laughs) I think these are the headline catchers but yeah so anyone that wants to go down to Australia should check it out time for a quick office romance now creative director at Bauer and careers talk heartthrob Julian Lindley has some wise words for a reader who succumbed to the charms of a colleague I've got an absolutely fantastic question this morning. This is from Toaster Number One. Nice name. Dear Julian, I'm in a bit of a situation. I've been working in my new job for a few weeks now and getting on really well with one of the guys in particular. We've been out for drinks a few times and the last time I ended up going home with him. I'm now really worried that I've damaged my reputation at the company. Do you think he's told everyone? What should I do? Well, Toaster One, this is an age-old problem. I 
absolutely don't recommend getting into a relationship with somebody from work or getting into a one night stand or something from work for this exact reason that it kind of compromises your professionalism and creates problems where there don't need to be any. However, the reality is people meet at work. My parents met at work. So it's where we spend most amount of our time and it's where we kind of get to test and flirt much easier than we would do in a pub or a bar because we're seeing someone every day, seeing their different moods. And in actual fact, the chances of success of a relationship with someone that you meet at work are fairly high because you have a lot in common, shared interests, you have stuff to talk about and your bond is allowed to grow in a very unforced way where sometimes when you meet in bars or on dates, it can kind of be like kind of trying to clunk two objects together that aren't really quite fitting, whereas work is a much more natural environment. Having said that, as you're experiencing now, the problem is that when you get involved with somebody that you work with, it creates an awful lot of political and emotional situations in an environment that neither of those things should really come into play. I've worked in the past with a couple, it was absolutely fascinating. They revealed that they were together after they'd been dating for about two years and no one knew. It was absolutely fantastic. They kind of came out, if you like. But what they did, which I thought was very sensible, is they let everyone know they were in a relationship and one of them left because they kind of figured that they were going to be together. So one of them should probably get another job. Because the real downside to your situation, Toaster, is that relationships quite often don't work out and if you are having to see the person every single day it can be really emotional it can be very difficult to try and separate your work out at that point and I'm always really clear separate your work and your personal life it's really important to do that so you may be worried that he is running around telling everybody the chances are he probably isn't for the exact same reason that you're worried because he's not going to want to be judged he's not going to want to be seen to have taken advantage of the new girl or if he has done then you know it's done you can't take it back you can't do anything about it and so my advice would be learn from this mistake you know it's brilliant in a way because you've got a fantastic get out clause if you've got off with someone that you don't really fancy you know a drunken party after work you can just say i'm really sorry i don't want to get involved with them from work i mean what a brilliant get out clause is that On to a quick Q&A review now. Ali, what is it like to work as a music producer? Oh, sounds great. <laughs> we had a great panel of really experienced music producers. Like the amount of bands and artists you'd recognise they work for was immense. I was trying to fit them all in. Who? Was, who? Tell us some. Oh, there was Snow Patrol, Aqualung, you know, and Beach Boys and Culture Club and all sorts. But yeah, wow. check out the Q&A to find out all the goss. And all. But yeah, I've got some tips here as well if you, you really fancy this kind of role. Uh, start with get experience one of our experts said there's a lot of cheap and high quality tools out there to start making your own music just just get on really um there are free apps on the internet you can use and you know technology has actually enabled anyone with a laptop and a decent idea to make a quality product so you can really start building up your portfolio that way you know big studios want to see people with recording and production experience you know coupled with a great attitude of course and that's the thing they're looking for so you could even go to a local gig and say hey you know can i record your music and maybe in return for your costs or you know get a cut if they get themselves a recording deal Okay, next up, you know, it might be recognisable to people that are trying to break into this industry, but 
It's good to enter at the bottom. The tradition of making tea, washing the floors, packing away the mics, you know, don't see it as an insult to your knowledge and skills, but a really good opportunity to gain access to the kind of inner circle of the production and engineering world. That way you learn all day, every day, how the pros create the sounds, the techniques they use, tools they do and don't use. You know, it's a great experience. And a lot of our experts did point that out. You know, they've all been through it, I expect, in their careers. But they say it's not, you know, just you're under using your skills. It's just getting up that ladder, really. And last of all, a lot of people came in to ask, how much knowledge of music do you need? Do you have to play your own instrument and stuff? And it was really interesting because they're saying you don't really need to be proficient as a musician, but it does help if you know how the instruments work, really, like guitar, drum, keyboard, basses, how they all work within the recording. And, you know, it is useful to know if someone's out of tune because that's going to affect your overall product. (laughs) Kind of summary, really, is a good producer has a sense of musicality, a good ear for tuning issues and an understanding of the instruments used. But don't worry if you can't play them. Is there a kind of tip? Thanks, Ali. Now, tellingly, in this year's Target Jobs National Graduate Recruitment Awards, which recognises the most popular employers among graduates, the majority of winners were names we all know. The BBC, Harrods, NHS, Microsoft, Walt Disney, British Airways, Amnesty International and Procter & Gamble were among the companies that topped their sector category. As these accolades are voted exclusively for by students, is it fair to argue these winning choices speak volumes about where graduates and young professionals are setting their sights? Here to debate this and offer advice on what these top employers are looking for is Cathy Hyde, Head of Future Talent at HR firm Bernard Hodes, which counts TK Maxx, KPMG, Philips, GlaxoSmithKline, British Airways and Enterprise Rent-A-Car among its clients. Hello, Cathy. Hello. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Um, First, what does a head of future talent do? Tell me a bit about your okay. job. It sounds very glamorous, head of future talent. Yeah, it does. It's fu- like you're finding the future <laughs> Bill Gates or something. Well, hopefully we are for our clients. But um, future talent really is our graduate services division. And what that means is we work with um, large employers who want to recruit great graduate talent into their organisations. The reason we call our division future talent is that organisations recruit graduates for a reason, which is for succession planning and to make sure they've got the skills coming into the business that they need in a few years down the line so it really is their future talent in terms of what I do I look after the clients I look after the team we help to set strategies to go out onto campus to get the right candidates through the door for those organizations but we're not a recruitment consultancy we actually develop marketing materials and attraction materials and place advertising develop events develop websites all of which will help attract the right graduates through the door for those organizations so what do you think it is about, and it might sound obvious, but what is it about these big name firms that people seem to love and why they want to work for them? Well, it's a big debate, particularly in our agency, um, because big brands seem to be attractive and it is the brand name. But we don't believe it necessarily equates to them being a top employer or a great employer. And we also worry that um, graduates are missing out on some really great opportunities with less well-known companies because they think that a brand name equals a good employer. So fair to say that perhaps students don't have an accurate perception of these employers or not? I think they have an accurate perception in the fact that it's the big brand names that have the big budgets that can go out onto campus and therefore they they are likely to be good employers with good graduate schemes. But what they're not understanding is that there are less well-known brand names that have equally good graduate schemes and could potentially give them just as good an experience or even a different experience because 
big, well-known graduate schemes have a very set way of doing things. They have great processes in place and they want people to come in and just fit in with the way they do things. Whereas you tend to find the lesser well-known companies are looking for people that have more ideas, maybe more of an entrepreneurial spirit, that have fresh thinking. And so the big brand names won't necessarily suit everybody, even though graduates think it looks good on their CV. So what do the big brand employers look for? Are there sort of trends in people that they attract or sort of typical candidates that they want? Yes. So in the last few years, there's been um, a lot of debate in the industry uh, amongst graduate recruiters as to what they're looking for and how they can differentiate between candidates. There has been a lot of press and there's a lot of data out there that shows degree classification is no longer a particularly good differentiator in terms of um, indicating what somebody's performance might be like. The very large percentage of graduates now come out with a 2-1 or higher, which tends to be the cut-off rate for large organisations. So the trend now is to look for something in addition to degree classification. So that might be um, internships, that might be having been a member of a student society, might have been the captain of a sports team. So it's just showing that you've done something else other than your study. Do you, would you have to be at quite a good standard before you went into these companies? Are they open to rough diamonds, do you think? Depends what you mean by rough diamonds. Um, you have to have the academic qualification and you need to show that you've had some kind of other experience, even if it was, as I said, captain of a sports team where you develop some leadership qualities, if that's what that particular organisation is looking for. Organisations still know that graduates come out fresh from university, don't have you know, huge amounts of work experience um, and therefore they are there to be moulded, so to speak. So yes, they will take rough diamonds, but maybe with a bit of sparkle and polish as well. What can be the benefits of working for a household name and the CV impact and stuff like that, for example, that's perhaps specific to these sort of firms? Um, a lot of the big brand names have very well-established graduate programmes. So if you do get onto one of those programmes, you'll often get a great sort of experience where you'll rotate through different business departments so you can decide at the end of it what most suits you the bigger firms have international opportunities it does look good on your cv they often have bigger training budgets so it means that you'll potentially be sent on more courses and things like that but as i said before they have a very set way of doing things if you're always a graduate thinking actually i've got ideas i want to do things differently i want to make a quicker impact then you might be better off looking at a less well-known smaller organization at first don't just join because it's a big brand name. Understand the culture, understand what the scheme involves, understand the expectations of you, what is the work-life balance at that organisation. So really understand what you're getting into and don't get carried away by the fact that you happen to have a great offer from a you know a big, well-known brand name. I was wondering, um, you go for the brand name. Does that help you move on if you want to leave? And what do people do once... You, if you've decided this is not the right culture for you, you want to go and do something different, where do these people go? People leaving an organisation at the end of their scheme happens quite a lot and it's something that organisations really worry about because it costs them an awful lot of money to market the scheme, then pay somebody all the training they go through. If they then leave at the end of it, that's actually a big cost to the business. So organisations do try very hard 
to understand how their graduates on the schemes are feeling during the kind of maybe it's a two-year program um, so they can try and retain them at the end of it but if you do want to move on if you've completed the scheme I would always encourage someone to complete the scheme because they only tend to be a year to two years to try and stick it out and then understand from that what you've learnt and convert that into your application for another organisation in the same way you would later on in your career what are the skills and experience you've picked up. Are there any sort of approaches that big companies like, you know, sort of examples that they might like or, or anything like that? They're very interested, as I said, in the extracurricular activities. So what else have you done? Sort of showing commitment, showing that you've grown personally and that you've achieved that yourself. Um, in terms of just basic job-seeking habits, these organisations spend a lot of money marketing themselves going onto campus, sending representatives out. The best way to understand an organisation and to know how you might be successful in the application process is to go along to those and to actually talk to recruiters, get them to understand who you are, befriend them really, get advice. They won't be able to fast track you through the assessment process, but you'll have inside knowledge of, of what's expected of you and I would recommend doing that. I think there are a lot of students out there who go to careers fairs and sort of rush around picking up all the freebies and the goodies and don't actually stop and talk to the organisations and that is the best advice I could give really there. Any more tips that you want to share for people who want to work for household names? Yes, competition is high so apply early, uh, spend time on your application, don't make it look like you've copied and pasted from lots of other application forms, that's a big pet hate of recruiters and then gain experience. Okay, well, Kathy's brought someone along with her, and obviously we wouldn't let them get away without sitting and having a chat with us in front of the mic. Um, Hannah Gillett is on work experience with Bernard Hodes. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Um, tell us a bit about what you're doing and what your sort of work situation and when you graduated. Um, well, I just graduated about three weeks ago from King's College um, with an English degree, um, and I went pretty much straight from graduation to three weeks work placement with Bernard Hodes. Um, and I've actually got a job offer from Teach First for June 2011. Well, so I'm good. on a gap year at the moment. Just quick, for anyone who doesn't know what Teach First is about, can you give us a little bit of a summary? Uh, Teach First is a national charity that was set up in, I think, 2001. And the idea was to get high-caliber graduates who wouldn't necessarily think about going into teaching to consider doing it for two years in the most disadvantaged schools. And the idea is that you teach for two years and you get a PGCE while you're on the job. Um, so you only have six weeks training before you actually start teaching and then after that about 50% of people will stay in teaching the other 50% will go and work for businesses. How do you feel about that sort of going almost straight into the classroom? Um, absolutely terrified <laughs> if I'm honest. I think it's going to be good because I'm hoping that because I'm only about four years older than some of the students I'll be teaching I'm hoping they might go easy on me a little bit but it is going to be scary. Okay, so why did you want to apply to Teach First? Always want to be a teacher, you know, how did you make that sort of decision? I think when I was about 11 years old, I read an article in Reader's Digest about someone who'd <laughs> gone into a high school and let the kids choose what CDs they played in the morning and that sort of thing and completely transformed this place. And I thought, as soon as I read that, I want to do that one day. But I hadn't planned to do it until I'd done something else first. And then when I saw Teach First, because it's only a two-year programme, I thought that's absolutely perfect. It's what I want to do and I can do it now and then I can come back to teaching in the future. And I've still got that space in between to go away and sort of live the business high life a little bit and then come back to teaching. You've graduated quite recently and yeah. taken steps into what you're going to do next quite soon. Did you have a plan quite a while ago in place or not? Not when I came to uni. I wanted to be a writer when I started and I had wanted to go into journalism but then I got involved with students in free enterprise 
and that meant spending a lot of time working close with businesses. And after doing that, I started seeing actually I would quite like to go into a business rather than go into the journalism. So I had absolutely no idea where to start because I literally wanted to do journalism since I was about four years old. So it was quite scary suddenly two years into your degree thinking I want to completely change career plans and I need to start from scratch deciding where to go next. Um, so I went for companies that I liked rather than specific jobs and I met Kathy and a couple of other people from the company and I just thought they seemed like a really nice company. I'll, I'll see if I can get work experience there. And then the same with Teach First and the other places that I applied to. It was because I liked the look of the company not because I liked the look of the job so much. Although hopefully it was both. <laughs> Again, that's a really great approach. Well, good luck with everything. You'll have to let us know how you get on. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks again to Cathy Hyde and Hannah Gillett. On to the jobs chart now. We voted for a local government theme this time. Tom Storer from Guardian Jobs is joining us in the studio to help Ali reveal the top 10. Opening up the chart at 10, it's a strategic director at Birmingham City Council. The medical research company need a health and safety advisor at 9. In at eight, it's an innovation funding partnerships manager with Serco. And seven is Cardiff City Council looking for an environmental assessment coordinator. The London Borough of Walton Forest are looking for a social worker at six. While Crawley Borough Council wants a housing options officer at five. Four is an older person's support manager via Morgan Hunt. And at three, we the community relations manager with Norfolk County Council. Losing its safe seat at two is an electoral services manager from Herefordshire Council. But with a landslide victory at one, off Gemma looking for a head of retail. Before we go, here's what we've got coming up on the site next week. Okay, next, 16th of August, we have Enhancing Your Skills Through Volunteering. Then on the 18th of August, What Is It Like Working in Event Management? Next day, August 19th, we have What Can I Do With a Media Degree? And then the following week, we want to tell you about our Roots into Medical Research web chat, which is taking place on the 24th of August. And that's it for this pod. Thanks very much to our guests, Kathy Hyde and, of course, Hannah Gillett, Tom Storer from Guardian Jobs, and our trusty household names, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace, and as next week I'm on holiday, you'll find Harriet in the hot seat next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.